Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. Uh, today is Tuesday, uh, formerly known as Election Tuesday, when we were anticipating the uh, elections in America. Obviously, the only election I care about, and probably you, the viewer, as well. Um, of course, I'm joking somewhat. But uh, I think Tuesday, it, feel, it still feels like kind of a political day. You know, like Monday, Thursday, Wednesday, these can sort of go either way. But Tuesday still feels like a political day. So let's go with that for now. Now, when I heard we were going to be talking about lockdowns today, uh, I said, oh, great. More, more of that. Let me you know, change that record. But then I saw the title of this episode. We are all East Germans now. I said, OK, maybe that should have a question mark at the end of the title, I thought. So um, I have a feeling this is going to be kind of more of a discussion like, are we all in East Germany now? Because that is a Quite the hyperbole. And when I first uh, joined this Zoom call, I asked uh, both my co-host as well as Lord Emperor Razi behind the scenes, like, was there some disagreement between the two of you about this title? Because uh, I could imagine the two of you arguing about this. And uh, no, they actually agree with one another about this. So we're going to get into this. Now, um, it, I, I, I was thinking to myself before uh, we, we joined on this call, like my co-host could go either way. I could flip a coin to know where he stands about this title, because on one hand, the Greek is uh, been the voice of prudence. Like he won't let you call anyone a Marxist, for instance, unless they really are a Marxist. So he's he chews on things. He also he doesn't go with the objectivist position on on everything. For instance, like uh, yesterday on his wonderful discussion with James Valiant, uh, my co-host here said some things that made it sound like the Palestinians today are are far more civilized and advanced than maybe they were in the early 80s. So for it, so for that, on, there's another uh, issue where my co-host uh, does not necessarily align with many other objectivists. Maybe I just opened a can of worms by uh, mentioning that in passing, but we'll give him a chance to answer. But on the topic of we are all East Germans now, quote unquote, he, I could, he could go either way, because on one hand, I was guessing uh, Nikos is sort of uh, he's the voice of prudence. On the other hand, sometimes uh, he's taken the red pill at times uh, where I, I see him sort of uh, uh, aligning, aligned with the right at times, maybe more than I would like. But uh, what does the right even mean anymore? It's a bunch of former leftists, really. The more time passes, the more the right of today is uh, speaking as the left of yesterday. So uh, a lot to get into here. I did a, I don't call this a drive-by because we're about to hand it over to my co-host to defend himself in the court of public opinion. Um, this is a guy who, you know, I've often called the last of the Greeks. And uh, he recently discovered that I basically use that title for every Greek person that I know, which is like three or four people in my life. So um, when he found this out, you know, what, what am I going to say? Say, oh, but I only mean it when I say it to you. He'll say, are you going to use that excuse? I invented that excuse. Please welcome the man, the myth, the man whose name is perfectly pronounced. Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Very close. Yeah, imagine people, you have someone who is really in love with you and they paint a portrait of you and you feel so good about that. And then you visit their home and you see that they've built the same portrait for five other people. That's how I feel about the last of the Greek things. Anyway, so why the title? So what happened in the UK is that the prime minister has promised to people that they would be allowed to celebrate Christmas because we have been reduced to this, that we're begging, please let us celebrate Christmas. 
And on a magnificent U-turn last Saturday, on a press conference, he said, look, there is this very serious new strain of the virus, which has been around since September, but only now we managed to properly understand it. Hopefully it's not more lethal, but it is easier. It spreads faster. Therefore, tough luck. Uh, we, we have to make sure that we keep the restrictions during Christmas. Not only we keep them, but we, 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 we actually make it even stricter. So we have this Orwellian notion that London goes to tier three, which means even harder restrictions. Now, the funny thing, actually not funny, but the weird thing is that UK up to this point had three tier systems. So now, if you're not convinced how serious the situation is, let us introduce the fourth tier. Now, what this managed to do is spread panic throughout Europe. And we know that the type of political leaders that the Europeans are, what they do is they stare at each other, see what everyone is doing, and then they do the same thing. So within 24 hours, we had country after country after country closing its borders with the UK, which means that now there, is, there are fears within the UK about queues in supermarket and maybe even uh, some shortages in goods. Now, hopefully this is not going to be the case because a lot of people are saying, uh, this this uh, strain of the virus has already spread elsewhere, so or we we're going to understand a bit better. But again, the instinctive solution was close the borders. So here's here's what is my first point, and here's what I'm throwing to the table to Uraka. So we are in a situation where the negation of our liberties is now the default. So we have a situation of uncertainty. Now, according to the so-called precautionary principle that has been around for the last decades, if we're not sure about what is happening, we don't need to prove that something is dangerous. We need to prove that something is actually safe or not so dangerous. So the default answer is you are not allowed now to, to do the things that you'd have to do because we're a center about something. So being allowed to leave something that would look like a normal life is the exception. And it is the magnanimous, let's say, allowance that we're given by our dear leaders that says, you might be able to celebrate Christmas day. So for example, in Greece, where I have to text the government to leave my home and I have to wear a mask even if I walk alone, the government said, only for Christmas day, we might allow you to mix with one more household, no more than six or seven people. So this is where we are. So the things have escalated so quickly that now we are completely institutionalized to that. We bow the head and we say, yes, sure, this is perfectly normal. So how we went there so fast, for me, it's very, very frightening. And my big question is, how are we going to overcome this? How are we going to get over this in 2021? Thoughts? I mean, uh, look, I don't like the lockdowns any more than you do. And definitely the whole needing to text the government is beyond creepy. I, I don't see Americans ever going with that, at least not in any time in the near future. In, as far, as, at least many, many Americans would not go along with it. Um, look, I mean, look, of course, the, the, the lockdowns from day one have been um, uh, poorly advised and, you know, uh, antithetic to people's rights. I think uh, the, the most reasonable course of action that I've heard is that if, you know, if, if it is true that the government should have a role in, in stopping the spread of the pandemic it or of the virus, it should be to test people and 
quarantine the the infected or limit their limit their movement. And I could see a lot of people taking issue with that as well. Listen, I'm not a legal scholar. I'm certainly not a specialized pandemicist. So please uh, leave me alone because I'm not I'm not your problem. I'm not who you need to be fighting about this with. But what I mean, what they've actually done is just indiscriminate lockdowns for everyone, right? And I don't, I don't, I don't really follow what's happening in Sweden. I know at first they were like the most laid back about this. Have they basically joined the rest of the uh, world with the lockdowns? Do you know? Yeah, that's here's the most disgusting sense of lifestyle of thing that is going on. Lockdown fanatics waiting with suspicion to see the Swedish numbers going up, and they're saying, "See." Sweden failed. So see now Sweden is also taking slightly harsher measures. So for me, the worst thing is what this has done to our psyche, what this has done to the way we view the world, how this, and again, I'm cautious to a paranoid level, right? I've been in Greece for 10 days. I haven't seen my mother for more than 10 minutes and always from a distance of two, of two meters. So, but it's, it's this sense of life of these people. So let me give you another example, the media. If you would see the interview with Boris Johnson, all the media, instead of asking difficult questions, they were bombarding him with questions. Why isn't the rest of the country going to lockdown? And it reminded me a scene. There was a question by a journalist, something like, uh, if someone goes for a Christmas dinner and they kill their grandmother because they passed the virus, who is going to be to blame? And I thought this is a whole generation of people that have been led to think this way. They have been led to think whatever I do in life, A, I must take someone's approval. B, I must find who to blame. And it reminded me the scene from part three of Atlas Shrugged, or sorry, part two of Atlas Shrugged, where Dagny is on the train, the train stops, and there's these empty-eyed passengers who are just staring at each other to see who's going to take responsibility. And Dagny thinks, oh, this is the new kind of, the new kind of, the new type of people. These are the people who are the recipients and the, and the people who request our self-sacrifice. So again, I can understand, you know, you're a politician, things are very difficult. What I'm mostly worried about is this sense of life that has, how much we've all changed within these 10 months and what our expectations are for our government and what it means to live a life in these last months. I, uh, I'm always reluctant to use the phrase sense of life. I think that is a, that is a big one. And I, I, I always, you know, I always pegged you for a very prudent man. Now, first we're calling this East Germany. I think we know this is not East Germany. I understand uh, the way that we're handling this pandemic is uh, o- very over the top and we're definitely seeing fascism creep in because of previous decisions we've made in, in, in our various countries and our, our philosophies and our political setups up until today. I think we're seeing the sort of fascistic elements win in, a, in an emergency like this. But there is a virus. This is not, you know, for the glory of the proletariat. I mean, and when they and when you say the Greek government is encouraging people to snitch on their neighbors, that is very creepy. But, you know, they're the sort of uh, given reason is to stop the spread of the virus. It's not just that your entire existence is subservient to the state and you'd better snitch on your neighbor if you hear him sleep talking about overthrowing Big Brother. I mean, I think we, we need to cool it. Let's save this East Germany talk for, uh, for a later date. Aren't we sort of uh, crying wolf a little bit? No, because 
this is only parts of developments that we've seen. So combine this with what we've seen, for example, last summer with the BLM protests, where we saw people losing their jobs over a like that their girlfriend did on social media on someone criticizing BLM. So we are within this culture that says that we are each other's, not even each other's keepers, we're each other's, in a way, police officers. So when I see governments institutionalizing this snitching, so I think in the UK there was a special hotline that you call to report people who are having parties. Again, I don't see how we recover from this. I don't see how we go back to this, to a situation where life and our understanding of our freedom is normal. Because remember, we're always gonna be in some state of emergency. The next state of emergency is gonna be climate change, for example. So if this time it was so easy and so smooth, in a very real and, and big danger as it is this virus, no question about that. But I'm very worried that it was so easy this time. And we've reached a level where there is no loyal opposition. At least there's no opposition to the lockdowns, at least from, from the political mainstream. There is no opposition from, from, from mainstream media. Let me read you. Actually, I won't even read it to you. There was one article today in one of the most, one of the most uh, important news outlets in the UK, apparently one of the serious ones. And it said things like, this new strain changes everything. If you're not, some, some like, if you're not worried, you're not paying attention. So we've reached the level where the journalists now are literally taking you from your shoulders and saying, why aren't you scared enough? Now, tell me, how is this gonna help? So many people who are alone, so many people who have been alone for months, so many people who were waiting so eagerly the Christmas to at least meet one person, and who is to take these decisions on behalf of these people? So my mother is uh, in a very vulnerable group. She would definitely prepare, prefer to risk the infection than to tell her, you know what, you're gonna spend Christmas completely alone. And I know many people who would say, don't take decisions on my behalf, let me decide. The fact that now we are putting pressure on the government, the public opinion is putting pressure on the government to take these decisions on our behalf, for me is much creepier than any political authoritarianism. I mean, uh, listen, again, I, I agree with you that the lockdowns are wrong. They're unconstitutional. And it is we are seeing fascistic elements rising and kind of winning kind of the um, they're sort of winning the arguments because of the precedent set and what people are willing to put up with. But the, the context here is that a virus is spreading. It is conceivable that even in a laissez-faire capitalist country that if a pandemic is spreading or I keep saying using the word pandemic and virus interchangeably. If, the, if there is a virus spreading, that the government would say, no parties right now. Like, just like if there's a killer on the loose, do not leave your house or you might get shot. That is not the same. That is not the same as being in East Germany. I mean, we might, you could say we're turning, we're going to become East Germany because we don't have the philosophical sort of defense against these policies being implemented or like after the emergency is over, some of it will stay in place. I understand that argument, but to say we're all in East Germany now, I still, uh, I still take issue with, and you know, you started uh, just now by saying that, you know, people are losing their job because uh, liking a tweet that is critical of BLM. I, I don't need to explain to you that, you know, uh, social pressure being put on people and people losing their livelihood is not comparable. It's not the same as the government saying 
you know, call us if you see, uh, so, you know, certain behavior. Now, when they're saying call us, they're saying call us if you see party. I thought you were going to say that in England, the government is saying call us if someone likes a tweet that is critical of BLM. Oh, no, now, no, that no, would no, be, no, that would no, be. No, these, no, no, these were. So these are very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the more I think about it, look, you you are right. Uh, maybe the title is not uh, is 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 exaggerating, and maybe we should change it with a question mark. And you are right. However, it came from my an idea that I had that this looks a bit like a East German. I called it simulation game. That it's, it's <coughs> this is how you can understand how people get into this mentality of you know what I'm a subject of the state. There's not much. There's not much I can do. So, and again, in this episode, I'm not so much worried about what the state is doing. I get that. I'm worried about how the rest of us are being completely now institutionalized in accepting this. Let me ask you one final question. Hopefully, most scientists believe that the vaccine, the current vaccine, will still be able to cover this new strain. Imagine what's going to happen if this turns out not to be the case, because the governments, what they've done is they have linked the vaccine so much with us being released from the lockdowns that you realize that it's going to be very difficult for them to say, well, you know what, the vaccine doesn't work. So what's going to happen then? How long do you think? And that's a rhetorical question. I'm not accepting a particular answer. So how long do we think this can go on, even from from the point of view of the economy operating. And again, take it, don't, I don't even want to start talking about, you know, mental illnesses, people being in despair. I've started seeing this in people, but that's completely anecdotal. So I'm not going to even mention it as an argument. But again, I think we've lost so much these last months that it's going to take time to even realize how quickly we went here, how quickly we went begging the prime minister to allow us to visit a family member. Let that sink in. We've reached the point where we were begging the prime minister to allow us to visit your mother or your grandma. And at the end, the prime minister said, sorry, for most of you, tough luck, or for some of you, you can't do it. That's, that's, where, we, that's where we are. Look, I'm I'm as troubled as anyone, but I'm also I'm also I've also got my eyes open. I see that people are defying these lockdowns. People are protesting against them. Certainly in America, people are having their holiday get togethers. And it's we occasionally see uh, like a business owner dragged out of his store by the police. We occasionally see um, all types of sort of uh, outrageous stories, but they're outrageous for a reason. They're rare. I mean, in a in a country of 300 million, referring to the U.S., in a country of 300 million, if one or two of these, I mean, maybe more, maybe if a handful of these stories emerge, that's kind of a, a, a numbers game that, that's bound to happen, just like police brutality and various other things are bound to surface. So I think uh, the, the picture you're painting, if someone were to watch this, you know, 100 years from now, they, they, they would hear what you're saying and they would think like everyone is just marching complicitly uh, into the uh, gulag, but that's just not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of people define, not only defying, but vocally sort of criticizing. And these lockdowns largely are sort of a suggestion. Am I wrong about this? I know if you open a business that you might be uh, facing a uh, very real reprimand, reprimandation, reprimanding. But as a, as a citizen, are you not able to leave the house? Do you really need to text your government over there in Greece? Because I know here, LA is under lockdown. I, I leave the house whenever I want. 
Um, I, I go to the store. I, go I haven't got the... So because, because I have an English mobile phone, I can't text the government. I, I, I have to do handwritten kind of, uh, kind of permits to... But anyway, look, I take your points. I take your points and I agree with your points about the title. Keep in mind, though, again, that East Germany did not become East Germany in one day and it was not Stasi that made it East Germany or only that. It was after some point, the idea that, well, you know, what can you do? What, what, there's, what, what can be done? It is what it is. And this is for a higher cause. It's always, it's always for a higher cause. But anyway. Yeah, I agree. East Germany didn't become East Germany in, in a day, although maybe, maybe East Germany actually did, but maybe the Soviet Union didn't become. Uh, anyway, you're the expert on this. I'm not going to. Yeah, no, actually, East German took a lot of time. So till, oh, okay. till, uh, till the time, even, even till Khrushchev's time, you could travel from east to the to the west. So anyway, that's not the point. Again, I always assumed it was just a game of rock, paper, scissors at the end of the World War. But anyway, uh, back to today. Um, I mean, look, yes, it's true. When when di the dystopia emerges, it, it'll well, people will say, well, why didn't we stop nip this at the bud? But what I'm saying is it, what freaks me out is a lot of the uh, pushback against this. People saying that it's all a hoax. People that are um, bringing weapons to uh, protest, storming the, ho the uh, office of the governor in, in some state. Some, I think it wasn't California, but so somewhere um, you probably you might you might have seen this. I mean, when I'm seeing the the opposition to the left is populist, is sort of anti-science, is emotionalist. I'm saying, yeah, fascism is on the rise, but uh, don't assume it's going to be coming from the left. It could very well be a, a, a Machiavellian Republican or the equivalent in, in, in Europe, in various European countries and so on. So um, we need to be very careful uh, how we look at this and be very clear what is the positive that we're pushing for. Uh, can I give you a, an opportunity just in case you want to respond to the sort of drive-by remark I made in my introduction about your... Uh, comment about the Arab-Israeli conflict and Ayn Rand statements. You, just, just, just to be clear, what I was saying, uh, I think you were, you were apologizing for Ayn Rand's statement in, on the Phil Donahue show, and she said in the conflict between the between Israel and the Arabs, I think we should take the side of Israel because the people attacking them are like almost primitive. They're they're opposed to in, in, industrialization and all of that. And it sounded like what you were saying in your debate with James Valiant is that you were saying. Well, in Ayn Rand's time, yes, fascism was common among the Arab nations like Egypt, you know, expelled the Greeks, which apparently is the one and only crime it, it takes to get you to condemn anybody these days. But but no, I would uh, definitely challenge what you're saying. I think what Ayn Rand meant to say, I mean, if I I'm, I I'm pretty confident that what she was saying is in the conflict between the state of Israel and Yasser Arafat and his ilk. Yasser Arafat is a deranged lunatic who is seeking to eliminate this relatively advanced and civilized and relatively rights protecting country from the region. And uh, and and today, I would say uh, the the leadership of the Gaza Strip makes Yasser Arafat look like a very, uh, very mild mannered person. And the leadership in the West Bank is the like inheritor of Yasser Arafat. So it's not gotten it's not gotten any better uh as far as i can tell so i don't think i don't think uh your defense of ayn rand's statement was uh was was correct because i think you were 
like apologizing, say, acting like, well, well, the, you know, the people she was talking about, they were like uncivilized back then. But I, you know, I, uh, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? You look confused. I get, but uh, that, that, there's nothing to say that Hamas is not actually worse than PLO. And there's nothing to say that uh, Mubarak is, was not worse than, uh, than uh, Nasser. And there's, not, uh, there's a lot of argument to be made that th the Syrian regime, for example, has more or less stayed the same. My point is that when you talk about savages, Ayn Rand did not, was not referring to a race or to an ethnicity. She was referring to regimes. That was my only point. Now, there's a very good chance that what follows these regimes is something even worse. So, for example, you could say the communist regime in Afghanistan was very, very bad. <laughs> the Taliban was 10 times worse. So, they, yeah, I don't think we, I get your point, but there's, there's nothing in what I said which... Uh, uh, which is which is different from what you say. Yeah, I mean, Razi in the chat room is telling us not just regimes, cultures too. And so I would ask you, Nikos, uh, which part of Canada did uh, the Palestinians import their leader, their regime from? It must have been uh, must have been quite the operation for this very rights protecting and industrial people to import. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. It's American humor. Maybe maybe you're a little bit confused, but but no, I don't. We yes, we we agree. Rand was not making a racist statement. She didn't mean the Arab race. She was talking about the Arab world, the culture. The but I I don't think um, I don't I, I think the way that you emphasized that it was 1980 when she said this, and then talking about the oh the, no, the, just the Egyptians no. expelling the the Greeks from Egypt. I think uh, sort of is a a bit beside the point. I think... Uh... No, it's not, because mm -hmm. that was Nasser's regime. Most people today have in their mind these regimes as this... There was this moderates and then came the, the fundamentalists. No, these were regimes based on terror, based on torture. Regimes that were fighting each other, that's... What do you mean? No. no. You were making... You were apologizing for Rand's statement by saying, well, it's okay that she said that because back in 1980, it was true, as though imp you're implying that today... That's not the case anymore. Like today, yeah, no one would. Yeah, today the the Arab-Israeli conflict is very nuanced. It's hard to really tell who's who's the civilized side. They're both so reasonable. That's what it sounded like you were implying. So I just, yeah, you know, but I'm not as an audience member, true. I just wanted to mention that. But it sounds like you uh, you're not entirely sure you said what I what I heard you say. No, no, so yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't implying that. It's just that again, most people don't know this history. They don't know the attacks of these regimes against Israel. So even if someone would say that, yeah, today there are, you know, these theocratic regimes, no, they used to be bad already from then. And one thing that most people also don't get is that even if you take Israel from the equation, so most people think, oh, there's war in these countries because of Israel. Take Israel outside, you still have these regimes attacking each other, you still see pan-Arabism as an imperialist project by some of these regimes. I mean, think about Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait, now, just to remind people, the idea was that we start with Kuwait, we create this big state, and then we, all together we attack uh, we attack Israel. So yeah. no, uh, yeah, it's not it. Yeah, I mean, as the uh, as the sort of right wing populist doofus uh, of Israel, Bibi put it. You see, Israel is not what's wrong with the Middle East. Israel is what's right with the Middle East. You see. You know, they don't hate you because of us. They hate us because of you talking to America. You see, you are the great Satan. 
we are the little Satan. So yeah, great speaker, not a very good uh, politician, but I mean, Actually, yeah, let me, but uh, we, we get the politicians we ask for. Go ahead. Two things. First, uh, I think people should uh, push Raka to do impersonations more often. Second, yeah, it's such, such a weird thing that Netanyahu is probably the best orator, the best political leader in terms of public speaking, probably of the last decades. And people who know him say it's very weird how his actual political career is something completely different from his public persona. Anyway, we said today we wouldn't be able to even cover 15 minutes. You Here we are that. 29 minutes in. You and said that. So, so I said that. So Raka mentioned a debate yesterday. It was a debate between, not a discussion between me and James Valiant, Valiant uh, chaired by Gloria Alvarez on the issue of the remarks that Ayn Rand had made on, indigenous, uh, on Native Americans. So it was, it was a very interesting discussion. I, I've learned things. I always learn things from James Valiant. If some people haven't watched it, go and have a look at it. Okay, we're out of time. It was, it was very good. Thank you for joining us and do check out that debate. I mean, a, a debate or a debate as it's pronounced in Greek. Um, it's not like, you know, among us, it's like it turns into a discussion. Like, let, let me understand this better. So it's not and like the, 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 the goal was not to win. The goal was to get clarity. And another proof that objectivism is a cult. So we disagree all the time. So I don't know what kind of cult we are. We need to up yeah. our cult game. We do disagree. You're very pro-Palestinian and many objectivists are not. I'm joking, of course, uh, I think, I hope. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you all in the chat room for your activity being active that's activity thank you for your activity uh we do have a super chat last minute uh kyle says ruck impersonate dave rubin the rest of the show all right good people of the internet i'll do a lot of things for five dollars but you'll never see how quickly i will end the show once it's on me to use this voice i will disappear from this show faster than friends who cannot further my career Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nikos. Thank you, everybody in the chat room. Most thank you, Donald Trump. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for the Daily Objective.